Greetings, salutations, and welcome to the 25th episode of the Midnight Film Review Podcast. I'm Colin Smith, and here with me... Uh, Brian Stevens, uh, 25, yeah. going strong. We, uh, I think, are going to last. We're going <laughs> to make it after all. Just think about baseball. Baseball. <laughs> Never mind. Okay. It was a sex joke. <laughs> okay. Bull Durham, actually. Is it? No. No. Okay. We are... We have a scatterbrained, confusing, nonlinear, and all-over-the-place show today. No, just kidding. We're, we're here with uh, some great focus stuff to talk about. We've got an interesting show. <coughs> Doing something we've, uh, we've never done before. Um, we're going to kind of take a look back at our last podcast and uh, maybe offer, offer a little bit of a contrasting opinion there. But um, we we've got a, we got a lot planned for today, so we're going to start out with a little bit of discussion about Batman vs Superman. Um, Brian had a close friend of his kind of offer a differing opinion about the merits of the film, so we're going to talk about that a little bit. We're going to talk about kind of the fallout for the film and from the film and uh, what the DC universe is looking like for WB moving forward in in the future here um we're gonna talk a little bit about the rogue one trailer which dropped like 12 hours ago rogue one baby and uh we're gonna wrap up open discussion with a look at the mummy and uh, universal (laughs) trying to build their own extended universe franchise uh starring tom cruise (laughs) starring tom cruise the totally sane and normal poster boy of scientology (laughs) Um, We've got a couple interesting media hot takes for you this week Media hot takes (laughs) Uh, And we're going to wrap it up with a review of Eye in the Sky Which is uh, an interesting little film there I feel like I've heard nothing about it I know nobody that has seen it except for us (laughs) Exactly the same (laughs) But that's all we have You know And uh yeah, hopefully this week we get to see... I mean, I know Hardcore Henry is showing here, so thank goodness. Uh, can I just mention this to you? Yeah. Um, well, I just want to preface this by saying um, we are going to see Hardcore Henry, but playing at the Newport Theater this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, Midnight Special. <laughs> There's a cruel joke being played on you here. Yeah, yeah thanks. Yeah. Um, I got my movie pass... Uh, in the mail. Okay. Um, I had planned on talking about this a couple weeks ago, but I wanted to know more about it, and I, it took a while to get here. So I signed up for a program where uh, $30 a month, and I get to see uh, a, a movie a day. So with a, with a strict, there's a strict 24 hour time lockout, yes, right? Yes, 24 hours. Uh-huh. So yeah. yeah. So I, I, I that's the only thing that's going to kind of suck because if I see a movie on Friday with you at midnight, I'm not going to be able to see a movie again till midnight the next day. So I can't see a matinee showing. Um, but it really it, make you work to get your money, your yeah, money's worth, huh? Yeah. But if I see four movies a month, which is what we're close to averaging, yeah, um, even three, I get I get my money's worth. So okay, yeah, save a little bit of money. Yeah. It's worth it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I'll probably be seeing Midnight Special is what I'm saying, too. This I, you know, if if work schedule didn't interfere, I would probably try and see it with you. But uh, 
Well, I, you know what? At least, at least you're going to have an opportunity. Yes, I know, right? Exactly. Uh-huh. Um, and maybe that'll be my media hot take for next week. <sighs> we shall see. I guess we'll see. Yeah. Uh, so, where do you want to start, man? <laughs> How about the same place we've started for like the last four weeks? You know, why not? Let's just keep talking about Batman versus Superman. Okay. That, all right, let's do that. So, you want to start out first with our... I'm going to play a little bit of a devil's advocate. Is that what you want to start there? Yeah, let's... Okay. Yeah. Um, so, let me, I guess... We'll give some context Give some first. context, yeah. yeah. So, a good friend of mine who um, uh, is uh, well-crafted in in film, um, has made films, made a film I starred in, actually. He's um, in L.A. right now. And he's worked on films like uh, Contracted. Um, he's got some other films that are in the works right now. So he knows his way around the biz a little bit. Uh, and he called me on uh, Tuesday after listening to our podcast. Um, so we know that people are listening. That's good. I mean, he, he's not listening after, you know, anymore. After, after that. After last yeah. episode. But. And uh, he expressed that possibly maybe Con and I... Uh, had fallen in line with the critics and missed maybe the point of Batman versus Superman. And he laid out some uh, interesting points and he, he was very um, passionate about his belief that uh, there is a good film there. So uh, we wanted to get him on the podcast. It didn't happen. So... I'm going to stand in for him and try to argue the best I can, not argue, but just to talk with Colin and talk our way through this a little bit more. We're not going to spend an hour on it like we did last uh, last week. We got way too much to talk about. Um, but so uh, I guess the best place to start is uh, the emotional themes of the movie. So uh, my friend's uh, point was that this is a movie um, about death and um, kind of the death of Superman and Batman, um, literally, physically, for one, and the rebirth and the changing of who they are. And oh, yeah. S- spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler alert, by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess I guess we should have said that. Whatever. Uh, yeah, who cares? Sorry, guys. Nobody's seeing this film anymore at this point anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... Um, what say you, Colin? I, I don't think you, I don't think you offered a very strong. Case no, there. sorry, I guess not. Uh, uh, so, Brian showed me a, a YouTube video, which I guess was part yeah. of, or yeah, that, and I think that that YouTube video, I don't remember the director's name, but um, maybe I'll link to it in the show notes, if you're lucky. Um, basically, he that guy was saying he felt an emotional um, connection with the characters, and that. Uh, if we went in with the preconceived notion of who Batman was and who Superman was, we were going to miss the point of the film, and that this Batman is broken from the beginning, and that the falling of the Wayne uh, Tower in Metropolis brought back to him the falling of his parents and the memory that of loss that he had and pushed him even further into darkness. I, well, actually, I mean, I so I think what the... And again, so I I was not party to this this conversation. I don't really know what other defenses were presented, um, but the with, with the person in this YouTube video, there what they were trying to offer was that 
Bruce Wayne, the opening scenes kind of show him being returned to this place that he hasn't experienced since kind of the death of his parents um, and this feeling that caused him to kind of take up the the mantle of Batman in the first place and that is just um, kind of being totally uh, powerless um, and he drew a parallel between the the falling down into the cave behind Wayne Manor and the collapse of Wayne Towers in Metropolis as um, parallel sh- you know shots really even uh, kind of illustrating this point and then he went on to talk about um, what he thought was the what really made him love the film and was really important to him which was this idea that people don't really see each other as human beings a lot of the time we're very quick to judge and um, find find ways to uh, basically identify people as different um, and that the turning point of the film was very emotionally powerful to him when and the guy doesn't he didn't even really talk about the he, he talks very specifically about the fact that their name, the names of Clark Kent's mother and Bruce Wayne's mother are both Martha. Um, and that, you know, this idea of people seeing that they're not so different uh, really meant a lot to him. And. I mean, is that so? I, I'm just trying to like paraphrase kind of what I took away from this. Yeah, video. I think that's 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 correct. And I think also one thing that um, should be said is, um, you know, and I, I didn't get it. I, I'm just trying to recall the conversation in my head um, as best I can. Um, and that, you know, we th- we felt that Zack Snyder didn't have an understanding of these characters. But the man in the video and my friend's contention were he understood them just fine. It was these. This was his take on these characters. That these are that we should look at this as uh, not as Batman, Superman. We should take put away our preconceived notions of these characters and just accept them for who they are in this film. All right. Well, with all that being said, uh, I don't. <laughs> well, I mean. What this comes down to for me is offering a defense for themes in the film rather than the film itself. And not even themes in the film, like one theme in one part of the film which in which there is a lot more going on than kind of just this story. Uh, I mean, it, it's a powerful idea. Uh, you know, I think it would have been nice if they had spend more time executing it but my my problem with this as like a redemption for the film is that I don't think enough time is spent giving the audience a feel for Batman's Batman's impotence and his rage and definitely not for Superman's quandary of, you know, basically being hated for making 
making the right decisions or, you know, something like that. Um, there's just so much going on that the, it, I feel like, I feel like to kind of have this as a takeaway for the movie, you have to extrapolate a lot. You have to really do some interpretation, especially, you know, there's just almost no Superman in the film. Like, okay, okay, you can, if you pay really attention to the details, uh, you can build a case in your own head for what might have happened to Bruce Wayne and whether or not it was the incident at the beginning of the film that causes him to behave this way. I mean, certainly he is a much darker and broken Batman, but the the idea that, it, like... There just there's there's so many conflicting things going on, and at the end of the day, the Batman versus Superman struggle is just it's it's it almost feels cursory. Um, I I don't know I I just <laughs> I I don't have I'm I'm trying to be nice and kind of be circumspect about this, but I, I just uh, I don't think this was a good film. I think it would have been a better film if they had spent more time exploring this idea. I think this idea was the probably the only emotionally powerful part of the film and the fact that they kind of just put in the bare minimum to be able to <laughs> have the audience understand it. Uh, so it's unfortunate. Last week I questioned whether or not Zach Cider was an auteur. Um, my friend contended, um, first of all, that this is an this isn't a blockbuster film. This is a, this is an art house film. This is uh, it doesn't have a conventional three act structure on purpose. That this is him flexing his um, artistic side, and that uh, that may have thrown off a lot of the the viewership. Because they were expecting a traditional three act structure and a traditional movie, and this is very unconventional and purpose, purpose, purposefully so. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm I'm just I'm trying so hard, but like, you want us to care about these characters, then <laughs> give us a reason to care about these characters. Put. Put scenes which explain their <laughs> their positions and their quandaries and why they feel the way they do. Like it, I just yeah. Um, I, so one other, I, I think, um, aspect of this too was um, he he was saying, um, you know, not necessarily attacking you and I, but in general, he felt that society wants to be spoon-fed th- spoon things and that it's kind of a millennial syndrome, whereas you had to dig deep into this movie to actually uh, find the gold nuggets. And, for instance, um, you have to understand the history of these characters to understand uh, the... Um, which is what we've been told isn't a dream, which, which is actually a vision that was given to Batman possibly by Flash um, 
cutting through time and space and him seeing the future um, or maybe Luther playing with um, the potential villain of the next film I'm trying to be vague as possible without giving away spoilers but um, that you know if you understand the comics and you understand all, all, all of the comics that they bleed into this in a very natural way I mean, like if this were an indie film, maybe this is a this is a giant blockbuster made for the masses. You know, I mean, if I think if that was the case, then it was a bad decision because this is a giant, expensive commercial film. Uh, this is not you know, something written to necessarily please all the people who have spent time understanding the source material. This is... <laughs> is a vehicle for the studio to make money and make more of these films. Like, I just... Right. That, that, does, that argument just doesn't make any sense from a, a commercial standpoint. Like, I, I, I can't see... I can't see anybody purposefully characterizing the the people in their story off screen and then offering that as a defense as to why there's no character building in this film like because we didn't read the source material well then what you know what continuity are you talking about like what era of uh, you know I don't know uh, that seems pretty far-fetched um but then again i've read things where it might actually be true um i've read things from you know uh people who worked on the film not necessarily zach Zach steiner himself saying yeah zach pulled from the flashpoint uh arc and zach pulled from uh this oh yeah i mean no doubt he pulled ideas from Various, uh, I mean, you know, so I mentioned uh, Frank Miller's uh, Dark Knight Returns. Um, I mean, the Batman clearly seems like a composite of the Batman from that story. Even, like, down to the the suit. Uh, I mean, kind of, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, and the Batman versus... Like, but just because you borrow ideas does not justify the the kind of I, I mean you know it's still a film like you have to yeah you have to put all the pieces together on screen I think this is a good segue into um, you know I think I've I've done as much as I can to speak as like a devil's advocate and try to you know obviously we're going to try to maybe uh, maybe I can have a conversation and we can throw it up because I definitely would love to get somebody who felt the opposite way than we did. Um, I haven't met anybody in person or in Cincinnati um, or who has been able to give me the time to put on the podcast to talk. But there are people out there obviously that like to film. Um, Adam Quigley, who used to be on the Slash Film cast, uh, tweeted out several um, things about how he enjoyed the film and how he thought it was fun. Um, you know, yeah. There's uh, a word that I haven't heard to 
used to describe Batman versus Superman. Um, right. Uh, but I, I mean, I just want to say I, you know, in the last podcast I said I will never see this film again. Um, I think I'm going to try to see it again, maybe not in theaters, um, but eventually, and try to watch it through this lens that uh, maybe filling in the gaps. Um, that I didn't really <laughs> think I would have to f- to fill in going into it. Um, I think ultimately uh, Zack Snyder may be more of a fanboy than we thought. I don't know. Maybe he he seems to make films that are very uh, poorly received by the masses. Maybe he should stick to making indie films. I don't know. We've never really seen. I mean, his his filmography is is weird. We talked a little bit about last last week and the week before about Zack Snyder and how he's gotten where he has and I don't think he the one lone project that was solely his that didn't come from somebody else's ideas was Sucker Punch and that movie was filled with several holes. So I don't know. Um but let's let's just leave this where it's at. Um and let's go straight to uh Batman's box office and what that means. So, um, like you were saying, nobody's seeing this film. It's slowly declining. Um, this weekend was a precipitous fall into the abyss. It really didn't have any competition this week, um, but it still didn't perform uh, well at all. Actually, the second biggest drop-off of all time from opening weekend to second weekend which um and we're not and we're not even there yet really yeah so um yeah i don't know i mean we've heard we've we've seen articles that say uh the dc is no longer going to take risks whatever that means it's, i mean it's not so it's 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 warner you know it's not yeah. dc um, sorry yeah sorry warner brothers is not gonna take risks yeah the basically the the rumors are a buzz um about how Warner uh, is going to respond, both both as a studio in general, and then in regards to building this DC Cinematic Universe. Um, there was <laughs> there was a lot of really it's it's all conjecture at this point. Like the the original numbers cited for how much they want this movie to gross, that was also conjecture. They're going to roll across the eight hundred million dollar line in the next week or two. Um, Probably, and that is—that's pretty much the like the recoup money that we saw. Yeah, um, people were saying they were estimating they needed to make, and then that may or may not include a little bit of bottom line built in to help kind of recoup for some of their other massive flops of last year. Uh, then people are talking about, you know, well, maybe this means less DC films. Um, and we counted kind of theoretically at least seven out of the ten, mm-hmm. I think. Something like that. That are either in production or close to it. Yeah. Yeah. That, are, yeah, that have been talked about. I mean, I think, you know, the, the eighth one was fudging it a little bit with a second Justice League movie. Yeah. Um, but we know of, you know, like five more of these that are probably, I mean, there's still plenty of time to bail on a lot of them, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I, I just, uh, 
And then the article, like somebody anonymously said, we're not trying to, you know, like as a response to people wondering what they're going to do with this franchise, they're not trying to copy somebody else's success, which is just so ironic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how you respond. All right. And I don't uh, think, see, I don't think that you can be different. And I, I, I said this many times, I don't need uh, DC to be dark. I don't, I don't need that. What I need is for it to be entertaining. And to be uh, enjoyable to watch, uh, I would say the Dark Knight trilogy is not light and funny, and they took that darkness and doubled down on it because they thought that's what made it successful. When really it was the filmmaker, the actors, the writing, and uh, the production behind it—that's what made it. Well, there's very little CGI in those films, and. Not saying that you can't have films with CGI because obviously, you know, Age of Ultron has a ton of CGI. And yes, it wasn't great, but it was enjoyable, much more enjoyable in my opinion than Batman vs. Superman. What it is, is <sighs> to me, it comes down to logical filmmaking. Filmmaking that makes sense to the consumer and being true to the filmmakers who are making it. I don't know who Zack Snyder is as a filmmaker. I don't know. Like I said, he's. I haven't been impressed with a lot of the films he's made, um, but if that's where you're going with, then I feel like he gave you exact. I feel like he gave us his Zack Snyder film. So I'm not sure what Warner Brothers was expecting. And they saw Man of Steel. Yeah. So it's kind of hard. I I kind of feel bad for him in a way because I, I mean, you want to put this onus on him. I mean. You're, you assembled this crew, Warner Brothers. You put this together. You're the ones that put up the contracts. He just put his name on it, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's kind of an I'm an, I'm annoyed, you know, and yeah. it's it's just a it's frustrating to watch because you really do feel like they they doubled down on their bad decision. And I'm not I'm not talking about from the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy to now. I'm just talking about from Man of Steel to mm-hmm. Batman vs Superman. Just none of the criticisms were addressed. And you know, that's fine. But if you know, you don't have to go out of your way to to please the critics. You just have to make a a good film or an entertaining film or something, but I mean, let's be clear. Warner Brothers has had trouble with this for a while, you know, from the Batman and Robin debacle to the the fifth Batman that was supposed to come about in that series. What, which, what was that supposed to be called? Batman? Um, I can't remember, but <laughs> another Joel Schumacher film that was uh, that they squashed, and then you had the Superman. That the the infamous Superman movie that never came that they spent two hundred million dollars on that never got made, so to the Superman Returns, yeah. Uh, so I mean, they've struggled with these properties for a while. Green Lantern, like they, this, isn't something new. So I don't know what we really expect from them, you know, as a production company. So I mean, this is just kind of par for the course. I, I feel like. Yeah, it's I mean it's hard to like it's not like we can offer a 
a path that is going to create success for them. Right. You know, I mean, <laughs> but definitely the wrong thing to do was to try and cram everything they did into this film. Um, just They just needed to take one step at a time, but they also needed to make the franchise enjoyable uh, or create a Superman, really especially a Superman. I, I think Batman is just much much more beloved mm-hmm. um, and harder for harder to go go wrong with than Superman is and we just there's not been not been a really a great Superman film since Christopher Reeve mm-hmm. um, or at least one that had some sort of lasting impact or uh, meaning right. uh, so but instead of it, it you know I and maybe it's not fair for us to just say that this is them giving up or them just trying to emulate Marvel because like you said they have been trying to launch a kind of a franchise here um, for for a long time and just have kind of not been successful so uh, but but then trying to force it is you know not the right answer either Um, you know we we needed really I, I just what it it comes down to is I th- I think that they would have had a better shot if they just made a Batman versus Superman movie um, mm-hmm. and that's not what they did and as a result the audience didn't get to spend time with the characters um, and none of the none of the complaints that people had about Superman from the end of the last from the end of Man of Steel justified or not um, were resolved. We, you know, we didn't get to understand the character better, in my opinion. Uh, and then he's, you know, kind of <laughs> cheaply killed off without uh, without much meaning or impact at the end of the film. I just, I don't know. I I don't understand what they were thinking, but they're throwing their money away, and you know, I. I kind of want to point and laugh. Like, yeah. this is what you get for not <laughs> not addressing any any of the things that people took issue with in the first place. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, yep. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't really have anything else to say about this topic. Um, I'm kind of. I'm really, out. really. If you can't tell by like my voice and my clarity of thought i'm really sick of talking about this yeah let's uh nothing left let's dig into something a little bit more fun yeah want to talk about a little uh little star wars yeah let's do it i heard something happened today in the star wars world (laughs) i heard they done cast another lady (laughs) to play main character in star wars film (laughs) and i'm sick of this feminism running rampant in my america (laughs) damn fem nazis (sighs) Taking over. Yeah, uh, so, you know, Rogue, yeah, no more freaking comic book talk for like another 10 minutes at least. At least. Uh, Rogue One trailer dropped, and I was under this totally incorrect impression that this was an Oscar Isaac, Poe Dameron story about the plans for Starkiller Base, and it's, it is the story of the 
Rebel Alliance stealing plans from for the original Death Star. Going way uh, back. And man, that is so cool. So uh, cool. I've got yeah a huge nerd boner right now. Um. <laughs> Just uh, the man. I I don't know if I I, I don't want to presume to know anything about J.J. Uh, Abrams' role in Rogue One or the marketing campaign. But that was like the perfect amount of footage. Yeah, just just about one minute. I mean, one minute of teaser. Perfect teaser. Uh-huh. So the cast of this film, the lead is Felicity Jones. Her name in the movie is Jen Erso, and we hear that mentioned very early on. Um, but the cast also, and none of these characters are given. Um, Actor, n- actors are credited. Act- none, yeah, yeah, no characters. Characters. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen, Alan Tudyk. Uh, Donnie Yen, Ben Mendelsohn, Forrest Whitaker, Diego Luna. Um, those are those make that makes up the primary cast. Um, the person playing Mon Mothma. And then Gwyn- yeah. Guinevere O'Reilly as Mon Mothma. Yeah, she's listed. So mm-hmm. uh, Mon Mothma and uh, Jen Urso are the only uh, character names that are what, what that we know. Yeah. Um, and then it's directed. This movie is directed by Gareth Edwards, uh, which we've known that for a while, who um, had the big hit last year with Godzilla and his uh, indie hit Monsters, which I didn't... I watched Monsters and I didn't really care for it, but that was neither here nor there. Um, Are you excited for this? Because I I am. I'm... So, this movie... uh, I I am. I'm super excited. Um, It treads a dangerous territory and it's not the same dangerous territory that uh, that the sequel films right. are going to tread because there I mean it's I you know I'm not saying this is any more or less risky but it's just a different kind of risk, risky mm-hmm. because we are exploring something that has already happened uh, in in the universe um, and obviously there is there's a lot of extended universe stuff um a lot of different uh stories about how the um how the rebel alliance managed to steal the death star schematics um you know and the the fun joke line that i said from a new a new hope or from star wars is many bothan spies died to bring us this information Mm -hmm. but uh i guess you know i guess until there's a Bothan Lives Matter movement, <laughs> we <laughs> we get to have uh, the story presented to us this way. Um, They've kind of said, uh, at least I think Abrams has said that they're kind of retconning everything uh, in the extended universe. Yeah, I mean that's fine. And that's you fine. know, I yeah. I don't have any attachment to any of the any of the uh, <clears throat> the stories surrounding the the. Death Star schematics. I mean, it's as long as they tell a fun, interesting, and compelling exactly. story, then I could really give a crap. Um, right. The the only thing is, I just I hope they don't George Lucas anything, um, <laughs> like, and show us, you know, a, a beloved, you know, ruin or. Put a stick a beloved character in there in a weird way, but I, I just I feel like that's not going to happen. I have faith that right. they're. I mean, it seems like this movie is going to be action packed. I mean, I know that seems odd. Like I said, there's very little, uh, <laughs> there's very little shown in the, in the trailer, and we I don't think we, we even really know how long this film's going to be. It it doesn't say on IMDb, 
But it seems like it's a, a, an, a heist movie. So I love me some heist movies. Uh, so that, that bodes well for it. Yeah. I mean, uh, there should be maybe some uh, some spy thriller elements yeah. in there, too, I would guess. Yep. And uh, then Donnie Yen beating the crap out of people, uh, you know, just just because why not? It's And, you know, I, I'm guessing this is just me because of I, I'm assuming Matt Mickelson plays the, 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 the villain. He, I mean, uh, he looks he, he gives off an imperial vibe. Not yes. going to lie. Yeah. Um, and Alan Tudyk, I guess, for comedic humor. Yeah. And Forrest Whitaker because he's a sage, right? It's it was hard to hard to kind of decipher the the character that he's playing based on the. Uh, I'm just going off of typecasting. Yeah. Honestly, that's that's fair. You know, yeah. I love Forrest Whitaker though. Yeah, Forrest uh, Whitaker's great. Yeah, he's. I've always thought of him as a lovable teddy bear. Uh, I always hated his character in um, Color of Money because he gets abused by Tom Cruise and he's kind of a bully and I'm like, no, I want to I want to hug that lazy-eyed son of a gun. <laughs> I love Forrest Whitaker. Uh, Way of the Samurai or uh, oh, I just lost it. The Samurai movie that he was in, Ghost Dog. Ghost Dog, yeah. Uh, it was a weird, obscure little film. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, love, I love him in that and then Anyway, so sorry enough, but yeah, Rogue One. I think we're excited for it. Yeah. So, um, and you know, obviously, the joke at the beginning. There's this weird, probably tiny vocal minority of sexist people who are outraged that uh, you know there's been a. Wo- I mean, a woman cast to play the lead in this film, and it's like, man, there are just so many genders you could have chosen from. <laughs> And you had to pick a woman, huh? I, I just, uh, yeah. So that's dumb. I hope those people all die, but chances are none of them are listening to this podcast. So that's neither here nor there. But I, I just, uh, I hope to see kind of a same, the same uh, quality of craft that we saw with uh, with the Force Awakens. And yeah. the, I mean, just from a kind of a visual, stylistic, cinematography perspective, it looked. Uh, Looked like it was going to be on point. Yeah, it did. It looked good. Uh, that was my biggest fear uh, with, is Gareth Edwards. I don't. Uh, Ryan Johnson with uh, episode um, eight. I, I have a lot of faith in Ryan Johnson. Gareth Edwards, I'm uh, kind of nervous, but the the footage looked looked good. At least looked well put together. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> There's certainly a lot of pressure on the, these yeah. people to do it right, these directors. Exactly. So, yeah. Well, you ready to move on? We're not going to talk about Tom Cruise and the Mummy? Oh, no. I mean, move on to that. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Sorry. You Enough me. Rogue One talk. I'm really excited about talking about this. I mean, just a smidge of it. Yeah. So, so uh, I feel like we're, you know, the era of, like, the 80s action hero where everybody was trying to find... You know, their Stallone or their Arnold yeah. to cash in on this like lone wolf <laughs> <laughs> commando. I feel like we're in a new era of that where everybody, every studio has to come up with this giant universe spanning tie in. 
universe creation. Yeah, film, you know, really, you know? that's a good way to put it. Like, so you're saying, you know, back then they were looking for actors to become superstars like Stallone and Schwarzenegger and um, Van Damme, somewhat Van Damme. Now, Steven Seagal. Yeah. And Steven Seagal. Now they're look, what they're looking for is their uh, their IP. They're looking yeah. for that IP it's, that's going to. It's it's not it's not your studio star anymore. It's yeah. your your star your star IP mm. that is really gonna make you these big bucks. Yeah. And I feel like this <laughs> this is this has already happened kind of in a different way with the search for the young adult franchise that's going oh, to oh yeah for sure I mean starting with Harry Potter and then the Hunger Games and Maze Runner and Divergent and mm-hmm. god all those uh, the what was the the lovely or uh, bone whatever the mortal instruments that one that failed there was another one that failed like there's been a lot of those coming out that yeah you're right That's a good, this is like the new face of that yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, we talked about this like a couple months ago that <laughs> Universal has they have no they have no superhero IP, mm-hmm. they have no universe building IP that we would conventionally think of, but that they were going to try and use their old monsters <laughs> to <laughs> to build a to build a universe around. Um, what I'm excited, like the reason I'm so excited about this mummy talk is we spent a little bit of time talking about the mummy when we had that show. You know, we talked about like how are they going to do this? Like we we talked about we talked about the Invisible Man and uh, and Dracula a little bit. Yeah. Um, and the idea was that there are you know, like there's kind of a we actually we talked about it being having a chance to kind of create an adult. Uh, or a kind of a, a more human themed story that would you know resonate with yeah. people, especially with with the Invisible Man. Um, but then they're leading off with the Mummy, right? Uh, there are some stills from on set. It's hard to tell if they're even like shooting or if the actors are in costume or what. Yeah, it, I mean, it doesn't look like they are. Uh, I mean, maybe they are. I don't know. I mean, it's set. It's set in present day. Set in present day. And it appears that Tom Cruise is a special forces officer of some sort. I, I, I think operator is probably a better... Okay. Yeah. And he has to fight the mummy, who is going to be played by Sophia... How did we say? <laughs> uh, you know I'm good with names. Um, Butella? Butea? Yeah. Sophia one of those, tell. One of those two. Sure. Um, uh-huh. Best known as Gazelle in The Kingsman. Yes. Um, who you know? I wasn't crazy about that film, but she was probably my favorite part of that. Um, I, yeah, I mean, she didn't have. She was fun. Her character was fun, but she didn't have a big she, role in the film at yeah, all. Yeah, she really. didn't really have She's any character arc at all. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, yeah, so I mean, that's all we really know about it. But the it just it feels like this took off out of nowhere because the reason we were talking about this to begin with was because Johnny Depp was cast as the Invisible Man, and they were talking about the script, and this was going to be the first one, and then all of a sudden now we have a script, a director Alex Kurtzman, um, and and Tom Cruise starring. Like I feel like this just came out of nowhere. But as soon as Tom Cruise gets cast in something, uh, you better believe it's going down. Well, the 
the really what's just <laughs> so there's a variety article talking about the film getting a release date but what just kills me or I don't even know it made me laugh and cry at the same time um, there's a sentence later in the article that says characters from the monster universe films are expected to crop up in each other's installments before culminating in an Avengers style tie in <laughs> film where have I heard that recently and I just uh, I mean you know what Warner at least you were the, weren't the only one who just doesn't understand anything about the success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh so, th- I mean, this is just this is just batshit crazy to me. Like, not only, <laughs> not only is this nothing like the Avengers, but they're not even superheroes. And not only are they not superheroes, but they have been out of, off of like the pop culture radar for like fifty years. Yeah, I mean. Uh, it's like Monster Squad. Like, yeah, right, yeah. Is, and that's from the, the mid '80s. That's from my childhood, and that film is kind of a throwback to a yeah. a bygone era yep. of monsters and monster films. Absolutely. And I, I just, why do they think they're going to be able to turn this into a tie-in franchise? And I mean, what is like, are th- are the is the mummy and the are they going to be the main characters? Is it going to be like them fucking up the planet? Like who's who's the protagonist in these films? That's a good what question. are you guys even talking about? <laughs> uh, yeah. Like you're building you're building a a tie-in franchise based around the bad guys, or are they like going to come? together to fight like super Hitler or something like are you going to find a way to make I, these villains these movie monsters the good the protagonists like see if I <laughs> here's the thing here's the other thing if I'm your universal I'm a little frightened by this I don't know um, the studios that put out um, the these recent monster movies I don't think it was it was universal necessarily but the, the I Frankenstein movie with um, Aaron Eckhart <laughs> complete flop Victor yeah, Frankenstein, but, complete flop. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Dracula Untold, uh, complete flop. Yeah. Um, where? What do you? Who do you think the audience is for this? I mean, I those characters have lost their affection years ago. I mean, I'm gonna see this film. I'm not. I mean, podcast or no? You might. I mean, pro- you probably, but. Tom Cruise in a mummy film. I've got. I mean, I've got to see it. I've just. I mean, I'm super curious. So, so it is worth noting that the characters that they are starting this, starting this. I just, I, I can't take this seriously. I'm just gonna be <laughs> laughing the whole time. The characters they're building this fran, this franchise around are the two that you didn't mention. Uh, the two that haven't had film treatments recently. Um, is that good or bad? I don't know. I mean, yeah, good point. Does anybody I, know? No. Like, I just, wh- I mean, I, I'm just, I'm so curious to, like, I feel, I feel like this. They're not going to make enough money off these films for this to even 
them to even get to like you know the universal monsters avengers movie (laughs) (laughs) like i don't think we're gonna get there but i really want to know what that's about and how they make that work uh i agree like do they do they have a do they have a plan for all this stuff i mean i i mean is is that like if we go on imdb and just start backtracking through like universal monster films is there like did they already make this movie like (laughs) 60 years ago we just have forgotten about it I mean, I, I don't. I don't know. I, I I feel like these monsters have spent time together on screen yeah. in films before, but then like, <laughs> I mean, this. How does that relate to like modern audiences, or you know, what's the, like, what's the point? Uh, what's just, the pull? What's the yeah? yeah what's, why do we? Why are we interested? Like, who's fighting these monsters, or is this going to be like a a Van Helsing? thing too like where, I mean oh that's interesting like Van, like Van Helsing's the, the the man to fight them all uh, who knows but, but see that poll that was a a whole separate I don't yeah, think I don't no. think the idea of Van Helsing is except for the recent Hugh Jackman was did they make more than one of those yeah there was two wait no I think there's only one only one yeah I mean aside from that I don't think Van Helsing has been anything but a character in the Dracula right. novel and then obviously films but like yeah. what <laughs> whose batshit crazy idea was this and how did they get this how did how did Universal agree to finance this like they're they must be so desperate I don't understand and the thing is I, I don't understand is they were the most successful studio last year yeah I mean they they had hit after hit after hit and you know it wasn't all, it wasn't all um, Jurassic Park and uh, Fast and the Furious th- that helped. That was half of it, but they had huge hits out of small, smaller movies like Straight Outta Compton made them three hundred million dollars. <laughs> like that just says to me, pick smart projects, you know, put good people around them, and you're gonna make money. Don't don't be Warner Brothers. Don't just like. <laughs> Don't go out and buy the next young adult quadrilogy to turn into a, a six-part film franchise. Yeah, this feels like, like a, a good way to lose a billion dollars. You guys are just... It seems like they're reaching so far. But you know what? I would love to be proved wrong and... Yeah. I mean... <laughs> this It just it sounds like I, a, par- a parody of like what we're seeing with Warner Brothers. I don't even know. But, uh... Once again, we've gone yeah. super long. Yeah, I mean, we spent like 25 minutes talking about Batman vs. Superman again. again. I just want it to be over. I promise, uh, well, I'm not going to promise, but I'm going to say I'm gonna, we're going to do our best to never talk about Batman vs. <laughs> Superman again. You say that now until until next week. We'll so, you want to move on to the media hot takes? Yeah, let's do some media hot takes. All right, uh, hold on to us. Don't let go. We're back with media hot takes, hot takes, hot takes. (laughs) Media hot takes. Media hot takes. Where the takes get hotter with the media. Media hot takes are brought to you by Tordo's Flavor Dust. Less the dust. (laughs) Uh, So I'm going to start us off because yours is infinitely more interesting than what I have. You know what? That's that's no reason to dichotomize it a certain way. But I'll allow it this time. Um, So... 
on Saturday, I think it was, on Saturday, my wife was not feeling great, and we stayed in, and it was kind of chilly and rainy, and we decided to watch a movie. So I scroll through Amazon, and I see one of my favorite actors of recent years, um, last year's star of Whiplash, not J.K. Simmons, Miles Teller. And... I start looking at the cast of this film that he's in, and I'm going through it, and I'm like, Anna Kendrick, Brian Cranston, Allison Brie, um, they're, they're, uh, sorry, uh, I can't, Christopher Mintz Platt, Big Lovin', I couldn't think of his name. Mintz Plus. Yeah. Um, Marsha Gay Harden, I mean, uh, John McGinley, like, the, the... Well, this the, sounds like a great film. It, what is it called? <laughs> I'll tell you what it's called. Okay. Get a job. You heard of it? No. Yeah, no one asked. Yeah. Um, so this movie was filmed um, in 2012. I think I told you 2010 earlier, but it was 2012. This was actually Miles um, Teller's second big studio film after Project X, which I don't think anybody saw that movie either. I Really? I feel like that one was a one of those films where they spent like zero dollars on well, it, marketed it a little bit, and yeah. it kind of did... Well, it did. It did. It did really well for yeah, for its yeah, budget. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I guess I mean like the the film that you would probably most recognize him in, other than uh, Whiplash at the up up to that point. So he had been in uh, Footloose as a side character, which I didn't see the reboot of, of Footloose. But what do you they have? rebooted Footloose. Yes. When did they reboot Footloose? Two thousand eleven. I did hear the re. It's total tangent now. I did hear the rebooting uh, Dirty Dancing. Isn't that sad? It's stupid, but okay. I mean, it is stupid. It is stupid. Um, Hollywood is stupid. That's why we have a podcast. You're stupid. Because we can tell you how stupid you are. Um, So, yeah. So it was, you know, Project X, and this movie was filmed shortly after that. Um, And then he was in The Spectacular Now, which I love. I don't know if you've seen that. It's a great movie. Anyways, I'm going to focus on Get a Job. So Get a Job somehow was lost and couldn't find um, a studio to release it after it was made. Um, there were issues with the rights. Anna Kendrick uh, had mentioned in an interview that she didn't think it would ever get released because of being held up uh, in litigation. Well, somehow it got released, and um, it's about Miles, Teller char- Miles Teller's character um, graduates from college, and uh, he's trying to find a job. And four years ago, we remember how hard it was to find a job. The job market was rough. So uh, he thinks he has a job because he had an internship with, I think it was LA Weekly, and only to find out that he doesn't have a job. They've downsized um, because who reads magazines? Um, so he ends up getting a job for a headhunting company, I guess is the best way to put it. They make video resumes, and he's a videographer. Um, And uh, his dad, Brian Cranston, loses his job as well. Um, So there's a lot of social commentary on the job market and finding a job and having a well-paying job and you're successful, having a job you love, does that matter? Um... And really, it's it's a sweet film at heart, and it has uh, a good message, but it is not a funny film, and it's tries. <laughs> it sounds like a one of those real 
films that is yes. billed as a comedy. Yes. But, uh, yeah. And it, re- like, my biggest problem with this movie was you have Miles Teller, who is charismatic. He is a leading man. He is a young Vince Vaughn. He reminds you of... If Vince, Vaughn, if Vince Vaughn and John Cusack had a baby, it would be Miles Teller. And he is just boring in this movie. He 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 plays the straight man a lot. Um, he doesn't get the best lines. He doesn't have the best character arc. He gets weirdly abused throughout the film, just taken advantage of by people. Just I I I feel like. The script had an idea of a way it wanted to go and just really couldn't complete it. Um, definitely would not recommend this movie. I, I mean, Alison Brie's character is creepy. She's like a sex-obsessed, like... The, 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 real quick. The other thing with this movie is the women are objectified and are overly sexual in this movie, too. Like, every character... Uh, every female character, it feels like they're coming on to every male character in every scene. Like, just in the weirdest ways. Uh, I I mean, yeah, I don't know. This film, I felt like it was made in the 90s. It feels like a film that has no understanding of culture today and uh, gender roles. Like, it just, I don't know. It, it feels... Um, fraudulent in a lot of ways like the studio had the script um and the director uh, is the same director who, who did uh, roger dodger i don't know if you've ever seen that film with jesse eisenberg it's actually a pretty decent film um maybe i'll talk about it someday um not a lot of experience so they have a young director who's made a a, a decent film early in his career they have miles teller they have brian cranston who's super hot you know coming off breaking bad and malcolm in the middle and Andrew Ken- Anna Kendrick and Allison Brie and all these this funny young cast and the script that they like and this director they like and it all combined to be just crap. Uh, so get a job. Um, I think the director might be looking for a job now because they're definitely not impressive. Um, obviously, Miles Tell most of the cast has gone on to do great things, um, but yeah, <laughs> don't be fooled by the names. Uh, and the pedigree behind this movie because it ain't good. Get a job. Don't see it. All right. Well, uh, again, I have another first here for our media hot takes. Yeah, yeah. This past weekend, I had the opportunity to uh, see a little Broadway show that... Cats? Yes. Yes. That you may have heard of. Um, Actually, I've never... I've seen a decent... Not a decent amount... I've seen more Broadway than the average uncultured American swine, but I've never seen Cats. Yeah, uh, me uh, neither. No, not if I want to, but go ahead. Yeah, anyway, I got to see The Book of Mormon. Um, (laughs) Yeah, which is uh, easily the most highly touted or maybe critically acclaimed, um, the most hyped Broadway show of, I mean, the last decade, probably, or of a long time. Um, I think especially for our generation anyways. And I've seen, you know, I've seen a lot of the big productions recently. I mean, or, you know, the last 15 or 20 years. Like, I've seen Wicked, which was a lot of fun, actually. 
Um, yes. Didn't see Jersey Boys, but uh, <laughs> I did see Mamma Mia, which I enjoyed. Uh, I've seen the producers. Um, so, you know, uh, enough to kind of have a frame of reference. Um, surprisingly, I didn't really know what this show was about. Uh, you know, other than it had to do with the Mormons somehow. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I assumed it would be offensive uh, and sacrilegious. Um, and it was. Uh, if you have the opportunity to go see it, um, you totally should. Um, we, you know, we had balcony, upper balcony seats. Um, the, was it the Aronoff um, Theater in Cincinnati? It was... Every, I think all the seats are pretty good. So, you know, we had a nice clear view of the stage. Um, the the cast, like all Broadway performers, they are super crazy, infuriatingly talented. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're just on 100% of the time, and they're great. Um, the... <laughs> The musical numbers are hilarious. Uh, I, I did think the first half of the show was a little bit stronger than the second half. Um, and the conclusion of the show is a little weak. Uh, but really, I was surprised by a couple things. I was surprised by just how dirty the show was. I mean, even compared to the producers, uh, where one of the first lines in the producers is like, you know... Who do you have to fuck to get a job in this town, or you know something, something along those lines? Um, <laughs> my, I, I have so maybe I should tell you, to kind of describe the show a little bit. Um, so it's about two elders, um, and I don't really know what that title confers in the LDS Church or in the LDS tradition, but they've just finished basically a. Uh, they're two or four years at uh, something like the equivalent of a missionary prep. Um, and they're about to be sent off for a two-year mission in the field. Um, and the, of course, the, uh, I don't think this is really spoilers, the, like, star pupil, um, you know, best Mormon gets paired with the weird fat, awkward, compulsive liar, and uh, they get sent to, you know, everybody's getting sent to, like, you know, fun, exotic, interesting places, (laughs) (laughs) and they get sent to uh, Uganda, I believe, Um, and it's, you know, there, really a lot of the commentary is about trying to mesh the absurdity of religion in its literal form um, of like religious texts and the the more literal stories that exist in every you know every monotheistic religion at least um, and the reality of life uh, and then especially the reality of life for people who you are trying to convert or um, who you know, probably have bigger fish to fry uh, <laughs> so to say um, there, you know there's a little digging at the Mormon church but really not much considering how 
insane the you know really the Book of Mormon and some of the stuff that Joseph Smith said yeah right they honestly they they do uh they dig harder at uh lds uh on south park than they do in the book of mormon which was a little weird um and the what was more surprising was kind of their their treatment of africa um but then kind of thinking about how trey and matt like characterize things um i feel like cultures (laughs) cultures <laughs> non non-american cultures in their in their fil- in their popular works like are they are satirical facsimiles of how americans perceive yeah. the cultures yeah. they're right. not a representation a of, of yeah. yeah 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 so it when you know when you when you think about it that way um i i i guess the point is the you know the depiction of Africa and life in Africa and what they have to deal with is it's funny, but it is you know, borderline offensive and definitely heavily stereotyped. But I, you know, I think that is on purpose and a little bit of commentary on how maybe missionaries or how Americans see Africa or poor Africa. But the, the show is hilarious. Um, Uh, so one of my favorite songs and if you've seen if you've seen the show uh, I'm talking of course about Hasadiga Ibuai um, but to give you an idea of uh, <laughs> just how like foul this this play is at times um, one of the choruses in the song is Fuck you, God, in the ass mouth and kanta, uh, and that gets repeated like four times for the voice, and then that verse ends with "fuck you in the eye." <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's it's a uh, yeah. Um, How many times don't, do, you, do you think they say the f word in this? Uh, like a hundred times, probably. Wow. Uh, I mean, just you can just look at this song, um, probably at least 30, 40 times in this one song. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and there's there's a lot of fun parody of you know, just <laughs> uh, just dumb popular pop culture portrayals and um, preconceived notions about Africa uh, and stuff like that while presenting a stereotype of Africa. It's very confusing, but the show <laughs> is not not for children. It's hilarious. Um, the songs are great. Um, the ending, I you know, I wasn't super satisfied with, but uh, I can't think of a you know anything I would have rather done with the you know the money that the tickets cost. Uh, it was a great time. Um, everybody was laughing uproariously, and uh, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I'm glad I got to see it on Broadway while it was in Cincinnati. So. That's the Book of Mormon. Um, if it ever shows up in your town, then go see it. I was close to convincing my wife to let me go to pay pretty much double what a ticket cost um, for some really bad seats until I realized, man, I don't want to pay $100 to sit that far away. Um, 
I, so I was probably in those seats you were looking at, and it was it was worth bad. it. Yeah, yeah, it was worth it. But I could here's my thing, you know, is I could see the Book of Mormon for a hundred dollars, or I could see Batman versus Superman ten more times. You could, and yes. I, and I chose the latter. The I mean, you know, you could also buy like a handful of crack rocks and uh, a blowjob from a, like a, a dirty toothless prostitute. You know, that's an option. You can spend money on lots of things. Touche, my friend. Uh-huh. Touche. Um, my coworker, which you know, um, went and saw Book of Mormon as well. And uh, just hearing him and you talk about it, it makes me jealous that I didn't get the chance to see it. Um, I honestly haven't seen enough theater in my life. Um, I mean, and I always talk about going... Um, there's several shows I want to see. Book of Mormon's one. I've never, I, I've never seen it um, once. I, I, I've heard it's awesome live. Um, so, I don't know. I, I really am jealous of you. I'm glad you had a good time. Yeah, and and now I, uh, now I understand the little inside inside phrases from the show, like uh, like Hasadiga Ibuai, or like I have maggots in my scrotum, or uh, <laughs> magical AIDS frog. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> I, Cannibal the Musical changed my life in a lot of ways. Really, I I love it. I mean, it's it's great. It's just so obscure. And yeah. to to think that they've grown and they've honed their writing and comedic sensibility since then, uh, and and it shouldn't be a secret that some of their greatest things they've done on South Park are their songs, and. Be, this is, I think, right up their alley, doing a musical based on something religious uh, or something they consider to be foolish. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I, in my life, I will see it. Um, hopefully, it lives up to the hype. Yeah, I, I think it probably will. I think it probably will. Well, I think it's going to do it for media hot takes. Media hot takes. Uh, so, you want to go ahead and do a review? Yeah, let's catch some uh, fire in a jar, man. All right, we're going to uh, in that uh, mini hot takes and uh, hop on into a review of Eye in the Sky. And we're back. Hello. Hi. Glad to be here. <laughs> we're back with our. Our re-review of Batman vs Superman. <laughs> no, this is torture. Just kidding. We're uh, we're going to talk about. We're going to do a spoiler-free review, I should say, um, of Eye in the Sky, which uh, I'm looking at. It's on IMDb, and it's 2016, right? Mm-hmm. That's so weird because this film is billed as a 2015 film on IMDb. Wow, interesting. Uh, but then the release date says March 10th, 2016. So I don't know what any of that means. Um, mm. Then again, I don't really know much. <laughs> so um, this is one of those films. Uh, I, I A plot synopsis, like it's about remote surveillance and terrorism and the, the hard decisions that have to be made. Um, and like it's this... If you've seen the trailer, you've seen the film in a lot of ways, but there's also more to it in some important ways, and 
it's it's weird in that respect. Like, yeah, I would definitely say don't watch trailer for this film. Yeah, d- don't watch the trailer. Um, um, not that it ruined the film for me at all, but it definitely I think would have enhanced viewership. Put it that way. Yeah. Um, so I I'm just gonna jump into it. I love this film. Really? I I really did. Okay. Um, I so it stars Helen Mirren, um, Aaron Paul, Alan Rickman, uh, Barkhad Abd- Abdi. Who you will know, he was uh, in Captain Phillips. He was the um, Somali uh, pirate, for lack of a better term. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what he is—a pirate. Um, and then uh, Phoebe Fox is, I guess, the other main character uh, that's alongside Aaron Paul. Um, and then there are a bunch of other side characters. And um, for having a huge cast, this is a very um, enclosed film. I yeah, but it's, it's pretty contained. Yeah, it's a contained film. Um, so I felt like it was uh, well executed. Uh, the attention, um, it was it, it it was fine. Um, there were some plot devices to build tension that uh, felt shoehorned in a little bit. Um, we I'll get more into that in spoilers. Um, Aaron Paul, the best I've seen him on the big screen. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, okay, no, keep going with your analysis. Um, Alan Rickman's final appearance on the big screen, I think he did a very serviceable job um, in a role that anybody could have played. But by giving it to Alan Rickman, I think it gave it a little bit more uh, brevity. And Helen Mirren just, I thought, was terrific. Um, I mean, she's a great actress, we know, but in this role, she was. Um, Sympathetic yet terrifying. Um, yeah. Uh, and she has to make a lot of tough decisions and uh, is forced to make tough calls, but is also willing to make those calls. Um, I felt like this was very realistic. Um, I feel like uh, this may not be the exact way these things go down, but um, I feel like. In a very real way, this is how it happens. And I thought the bureaucracy around um, these decisions is enlightening. Um, It falls... I mean, so I feel like... I don't feel like it takes a a huge stance politically um, one way or the other. I think it kind of leans one way, but doesn't... um, push you towards any certain belief if you go in with a uh, an anti war drone dropping perspective uh, like myself you may be inclined to be this validate your opinion but if you go in with hey this is the new age this is, this is the way we fight wars now uh, we're saving lives you might be reassured in that way too so I thought that was refreshing that it didn't beat you overhead with a political agenda yeah this uh, really this film was not the, the, the parts of the film that weren't spoiled by the trailer were what I what I found most interesting because this film is not solely a thriller or a dramatic film. There is some serious commentary on 
really just decision making and bureaucracy and kind of the the U.S. versus maybe the British or um, I I don't want to say European, but other uh, coalition U.S. versus other coalition countries mm-hmm. kind of approach to difficult decisions um and the film's actually kind of is quite funny at times which is you know i wasn't expecting that at yeah. all um agreed and it i i don't know so that kind of that blend of maybe commentary on the modern nature of war and then the kind of culture country specific commentary um, contrasted with the obvious moral dilemma and kind of drama of the the uh, the narrative um, was a little I don't want to say jarring but it was hard for me to process it it felt like uh, kind of two ideas that did not fit together very well in in my mind um, and I, I don't know that I, I just kind of uh, I, I kind of had a hard time digesting this film um, and it you know it's I think it's it's a good film. It's full of some really good performances. I think Alan Rickman, like his entire performance is, it's just, it is such a perfect part for him um, where he gets to be kind of acerbic and annoyed and curt. And then the end of the film, he gets to drop that one line. Yeah. It's like dropping the mic after a rap battle and walking off stage, um, which kind of, it just it like it's it's just a perfect role for him. I loved Alan Rickman. Um, I mean, Helen Mirren is fantastic. She's you know single-minded and very intense. Um, Aaron Paul gets a chance to step outside, not necessarily his comfort zone, but step outside of the roles we've seen him um, typecast into. Uh, really, yeah. since always. <laughs> yeah. Um, so th- those things are nice. Uh, I. And I enjoyed the humor a lot, actually, and the social commentary a lot, and how America was portrayed a lot. Uh, I just like I I had a I had a hard time reconciling that with the the rest of the film, I guess. Um, but I, I I mean, yeah, I I don't know. Uh, maybe we should move on to spoilers. But... Yeah, uh, the only thing else I would say about this film is um, it looks good. Uh, Gavin Hood, the director, is... I will... <laughs> Honestly, if I would have known he was directing this film, I may have not have seen it. Like, So Gavin Hood, for those who don't know, is the director of Ender's Game, X-Men, Origins, Wolverine, Rendition. Um, those are the main three films he's directed. Not that's not a ringing endorsement for uh, a movie that I would want to see. Um, but I'm glad that I saw this film. I feel like um, 
it's an important film to understand. Um, the way these decisions are made. Yeah, I, and I appreciate that the film, it, it asks an important question, and it shows kind of the reality of that question without, without kind of imposing its own morality on right. whether that's right or wrong. Right. Um, which is, it's really hard to do. Uh, yes. And I, you know, I respect that. Um, I just, I, I didn't love this film. Like, it, it never coalesced into something more than kind of the, the sum of its parts for me. Um, I don't think it was a bad film. I, I think it was a, a good film and different film. Like, I've, uh, something like I've never seen before. Um, but I, I definitely didn't love it at the end of the day. So, so real quick before we want to, what, so what were things that you just really didn't like about it? Um, I, I feel like the, they, they spend too much time kind of delaying the inevitable, um, as far as the climax of the film. Um, but but kind of the uh, I don't know I feel like I'm I don't want to belabor the point or repeat myself but kind of the duality of the film I just couldn't reconcile like you know it, it, so you think you would have liked it better if it took a stance one way or the other no I don't think so I, I think the it was hard to really feel super emotionally Involved or impacted when you have this kind of humor and this so the, satire of bureaucracy. Okay, so the humor kind of took you out of it a little bit. Uh, yes, yeah, I, see, I had trouble with those two things at at the same time. And kind of. I see. I get that. I understand what you're saying. But for me, I mean, maybe I was maybe a little bit more emotionally invested in the situation. Um, but to me, that was kind of a reprieve where it was kind of like I felt like it was. Uh, reinforcing uh, the ridiculousness of bureaucracy in a lot of ways. Um, and if anything, I would say that that's where the film takes a hard stance on is how sometimes how ridiculous these offices that we have created within government really are. Um, you know, and how if something goes wrong, nobody wants to be blamed. But if something goes right, everybody wants to take credit. Um, well, we can get more into the, in spoilers, but um, it's weird because what took you out of the film is really what reinforced my joy for the film. Because I don't think if you don't if you take out the humor, you're left with a almost a overbearingly intense film. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. I just, for me, there wasn't enough here to push it into the territory of greatness or to make me kind of love the film. So, all right, well, we're gonna go into spoilers. Then, yeah, correct? let's let's just ruin it. Let's talk about everything. All right. Um, so, if you don't want to hear spoilers for Eye in the Sky, stop listening now. What, honey? Wow. Are you kidding really? me? You just ruin it every oh, time. Uh, I'll see you at home. Well, wait so a second. Rude. Now, how would you not know that that was taking place? 
All right, spoilers for Eye in the Sky. Colin, where do you want to start this? I mean, this story is about... It's really a... People didn't get this film at all. It is a moral... It's about the moral imperative of selling clean food products. So, (laughs) little girl gets the bread dirty, and she she dies and so she that's des- she she gets she gets what she deserves um, uh she deserved to die because she dropped the bread on the yeah, ground you i mean you sell dirty bread to your customers that's no D- death she obviously would have grown to be a terrorist <laughs> is what was what the movie was saying right yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh so at any point did you feel like the bomb was not going to be dropped were you unsure, or because honestly, I didn't know one way or the other what was going to happen. I really didn't know what was going to happen. I felt like there was going to be a happy ending. Honestly, you did. I did. I feel like the movie could not have ended any other way than killing the little girl, which is maybe that's another reason that I didn't like the film as much as you. In my mind, I'm just waiting for the inevitable, inevitable to happen, mm-hmm. and everything else is kind of a ploy or a distraction to try and trick the audience. But for, but so for their, for the, the film to, for the question in the film to be relevant, right? Something has to happen. Mm-hmm. So either the girl lives and the terrorists kill other people or the terrorists die and the girl dies. Those are your, those are the only two choices, right? From a mm-hmm. logical standpoint. Well, well, not see but from a narrative standpoint. Right? I don't. I disagree, in a way, because I feel like what would have been more interesting is so your the the argument is framed that there's only two choices. You drop this bomb, and maybe the little girl dies, maybe she survives, or these terrorists get out and they kill civilians. So what my hope was, honestly the end of the film was that the terrorists were out and that um, the general in the city was able to stop them. And in my mind, it would have been a cleaner film that way because it... And this is me taking a political side and my political theory behind it and saying... Killing innocents is never killing innocent people is never the answer. There always is maybe a way to stop terrorism other than dropping a bomb. Um, and to me, that would have been powerful and more uh, reinforcing of my viewpoint from a, a, my world viewpoint. Um, looking back, was that really a realistic way to end the film? Probably, well, they they, probably not. they put they put narrative constraints on your scenario in the film, right? Like, sure, they couldn't like yeah that they, they couldn't invade that space. But yeah. my thinking is like, well, they have to leave that space unless they're blowing up their own base of operations with these suicide bombs. And if that's the case, it's like, okay, I mean, I, I you're so you're saying you're going to kill the very people who you're trying to recruit. I don't know. That just that. May have been, I think, a little hammy if they did it that way. But I don't know. Um, I think, in retrospect, there was only one way to end it, and it was probably drop the bomb. Um, but at the time, I held out this hope 
because I have a certain viewpoint about this, and I was hoping. I mean, and I think that's something you want. You, 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 oftentimes you don't want a film to question uh, how you feel, uh, especially when it comes to politics or religion or worldview. But that's not healthy. You, you should seek out those things that that make you question, um, because it's either going to lead you to an enlightenment or um, maybe give you some reassurance in a way. Um, not saying that this film did that, but um, in, in, in another way, it it broke my heart. I mean, I just did not want to see that little girl die. Um, and Aaron Paul's performance uh, afterwards just seems so realistic to me because it's like we have these pilots and they're in the desert and they're dropping bombs and they walk out those doors and you know his his boss is like his general is like go decompress see you back here in 12 hours and it's like shit man this guy just killed a little girl and seven other people in a house uh he's the one that pressed the trigger and uh, I mean you know it's easy to, to think about you know uh he saved lives it's easy to frame it that way but man I don't know I just had a hard time with that that really sucked me it's like he has to go about his day knowing that he just killed seven people uh, I don't know that was that was a real moment for me and um, I don't know that's that's partly why I, why I really liked the film is because of the way it made me think about uh, modern warfare You're speechless? No, I you know I don't know. There there are uh, I mean there are some interesting things going on in the film. Like uh, part part of the their portrayal of the military is Helen Mirren is you know she is ready to embrace collateral damage um, and make sure that you know she's. She has no no qualms about whether or not she's making the right decision. She knows what the right decision is, and she is just trying to make it. Um, and a lot of times, you that that you see military uh, in movies kind of like set up as set up in in that way um and they're they're just sort of uh you know the bad guys or they're yeah um, yeah they they're not they're not shown as having any interest in kind of kind of contemplating things but um then the you have aaron paul's character and you have um alan rickman's character and I mean Aaron Paul's character that's that's obvious how he provides a counterpoint yeah. right, to that idea but Alan Rickman's character uh, is somewhere in the middle um, where you know he's he has a an opinion on what should be done and it's backed up by experience um, and you know it's it's one thing to like hate the military for doing all this stuff but in that situation <laughs> he is the 
the only one who's not making a decision out of, you know, who's not trying to deflect or pass the decision right. on to somebody else or who understands the implication of what is being done. Yeah. And that I think that was a nice... Um, maybe a nice subtle difference to, you know, how they could have just kind of made all the military characters hawkish. Yeah. In- instead, it's the, the bureaucrats who are full of shit and don't understand the reality of the decision they're making and don't want to deal with the consequences um, and see, you know, see the situation as, as very black and white. Um, whereas he, you know, seems to have a more complete grasp of the fact that there is no, <laughs> there is no good outcome. Um, but, you know, yeah. he's at least been forced to deal with... Uh, you know, death and see the the consequences of maybe both sides of this potential action before. Yeah, I don't know. I, that was a really long winded, weird way to explain explain that, but I, I did appreciate that about the 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 military characters or the 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 portrayal of military in this film. They're not the ones that are full of shit. It's the the bureaucrats. Yeah, and and that's a no. You actually in he. I'm gonna say the line because I think it's important to what you're talking about is he says ne- I, I, this may not be exactly but he says never tell a soldier uh, the cost of war mm-hmm. that's the that's his big line in the film and it rings true because you know uh, he's saying like I, listen I understand but I feel like I had to do what I had to do for a reason or we had to drop this bomb to save lives um, yeah. Um, so I want to, if you don't mind, I want to try to let's direct the film towards a more technical aspect of filmmaking. Uh, well, I just I wanted to say the uh, the the portrayals of America were I thought were yes, hilarious. That's, yeah. Okay. That's <laughs> where you have I don't even remember like the the position. Well, you so you have like this you know the Secretary of War or the Secretary of State, but then you have the, um, the advisor, the the operations advisor, like telecom in. Oh yeah, and she's like, basically. Just so you know, what are you guys waiting for? Just kill them already. Yeah. Stop thinking about it and murder people, America. <laughs> yeah. America. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The Secretary of State playing ping pong with the. Uh, uh, Chinese yeah, I guess, national like, team or something. Yeah, like. why are you guys bothering me? This is this is not a question. Just pull the trigger. He's like, yeah, what are you doing? We have yeah, just just drop the bomb. Um, the so well, okay, real quick before we get to other yeah, there's there was two things that kind of took me out of the film, and I wasn't sure. I don't really know how you felt about them, but um, let's talk about first about uh, is it Ian Glenn? Is that how you say his name? It's from. Um, from Game of Thrones, uh, yeah, I, is it Ian Glenn? I I don't know. Um, so he's Jorah on yeah, plays Sir Jorah Mormont on Game of Thrones. So he he plays uh, what foreign secretary, foreign secretary, British foreign secretary, and I just don't know why they had to make him have <laughs> a diarrhea fest. On and, and I, again, that like was that. A, so there's so. 
like it's so the satire is so strong and it's so silly like um and you know and i did so i didn't have a lot of problem with the satire in the film but i don't feel like this had a point to it i i just like either he's yeah i i mean i i feel like they were trying to inject some humanity into right his, his situation or something or either that or it was a very like straightforward metaphor that he's full of shit or, that you know. right and that's but his character didn't seem but that yeah, way well he doesn't until the end that's true where he is runs it up to the prime minister because he's because he doesn't want to make the decision yeah. yeah yeah uh yeah i don't know that to me was a little over the top and then um initially i questioned the video bugs um if those were a reality um, but like I, I read a couple of reviews afterwards and from like tech magazines like uh, Wired and um, and Gadget and they didn't address it that those weren't real things. Um, I think maybe maybe the clarity or the abilities of them maybe uh, extreme <laughs> and that kind of took me out of the film because I even turned to you in the film and I'm like, is that a real thing? The movie seems so realistic in it. It, it, it it's set in present day it just seemed odd to create a future uh espionage tool <laughs> like well i mean all right so futuristic i guess I, I i feel like the movie the their attempt at suspension of disbelief would have been the idea that a lot of times technology like that is not really disclosed or uh, it's classified or it's, you know, it's seeing operational use and we just don't know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, <laughs> I mean, look, look at the state of, uh, you know, like commercial drone technology and then think about that, the scarab beetle. Yeah. I mean, even if you could operate something like that, it would not be from a cell phone. Right. Because you're controlling, I mean, it's so it's like flying a a plane. You know, there there's a reason you need a flight stick and not a directional pad is because you have pitch and yaw. Yeah, right. You know, it's you, not... More axes than yeah. So that I mean, that's that's obviously you know like a you know maybe it's real, maybe it's a more likely it is a pretty big embellishment of our drone surveillance capabilities um but if it is real then it's it you know it is a highly uh, highly dramatized depiction of what that would be like uh, right so would, yeah I, i'm trying to find the article um oh here it is uh, so the wired uh article that i was talking about um and by the way just prefaces they call Iron Sky the quintessential modern warfare film um, but I'm, I'm searching through article I apologize I should have this ready to go um, basically I, I, I can't find it basically um, Gavin Hood says uh, it's not we, basically you shouldn't focus on um, the bugs or that technology. Um, 
it, it should be more of the transmission of the the video that should be the focal point and that um if anything uh he says in six years the technology may be out of date that he shows this one. like basically that the technology will have surpassed this film in six years um and not to focus on that and they and that's pretty much also it's just um it it touches on it a little bit but not oh here it says uh even if Hood is right and military technology makes his film feel dated within five years, Eye in the Sky is still one of the few war, war films that depicts this type of war, warfare realistically. So I thought that was weird. Because um, it just pretty much skips over that fact. Well, and so what... Yeah, it. I don't know. Like, it, the film does some things right in that respect, so... I really like the um, the idea that you have you have this single point of data collection, which is this Reaper, uh, this UAV, and from that you have you have two pilots, you have somebody coordinating a you know a joint operation. Um, and relaying information from a military CNC center to, you know, yeah, a, a cabinet. Right. And then on the other side of that, you have another um, another person doing uh, basically facial recognition mm-hmm. and data analysis. Right. Um, Which I thought that was kind of cool of just how globetrotting this all was. And I really liked those ideas, and I mm-hmm. think that is probably fairly realistic, or at least you know, practical. Um, but then the idea that Gavin Hood tells us to not worry about the the drones that are in use. By, well, here not by, to belabor the point, but here's here's yeah. exactly the. So it says there's a lot of cutting edge technology in this. Um, Aside from the Reaper piloted by Watts, there's a Hummingbird drone based on an actual piece of hardware that exists that does reconnaissance outside of a house and a smaller Beetle drone based on technology that has been commissioned and developed but isn't in the field yet. Uh, the Beetle is entirely act- entirely accurate since it's using a proprietary design based on developmental technology. Um, uh, and then he says, it, it's not the size of the cameras or transmitting images or even making something mechanically fly like an insect. The the problem is the battery life, so we don't want to focus too much on what it looks like or how it feels. Um, it's just there as a plot, as part of the plot. Basically, he's saying the fact the battery dies and you're, you that because that's a big plot point is the battery dying yeah. and not being able to see what's going on. That's why we feel pressure to drop the bomb because we the, the terrorists might be leaving at any point. Um, but then it goes on to say. Uh, um, more technology jargon that I it doesn't doesn't matter. But anyways, that took me out of the film a little bit because I wasn't sure if that was something real or something that was made up for the film. Um, but yeah, other than that, I I really enjoyed this film. Like I did, and I think as a thriller, it's top notch. It does a great job of uh, white knuckling. Uh, as your seat, I think um, Kevin Hood's showed uh, a surprise, a surprising 
uh, amount of talent here. When you look at his other films, I just I am shocked that he made this film. Um, I think the casting was perfect. You talk about Alan Rickman, Helen Mirren, but even the side characters that I really didn't recognize the actors, I thought they all did uh, a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, even down to uh, the young African American. Well, I guess he was English uh, African. I don't, or a black man. I don't know. What do you call a, a black person from England? <laughs> Brian, you're getting into dangerous territory here. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, I don't, I'm trying to be politically correct. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The the young black British sergeant. How about there that? There we go. Something uh, like that. Yes. He yeah. was he was uh, good even in his... I mean, I, I don't know if he's ever acted before. I don't even know his name. But I thought his trepidation in following the order to basically lie about collateral damage I thought he, he I thought he did a great job um, yeah overall the film was was well was well done um, the little girl I thought was a good actress too yeah um, thought she was fine uh, yeah I don't know I thought that the um, the terrain seemed realistic I don't think Nothing other than the technology seemed um, unrealistic to me. Everything seemed within yeah. reason. The 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 idea that the the girl is from this moderate that was family yeah, you're right who is just living in this surrounded by extremists and it's a little cherry picked for right. delivering the message of yeah. the film. It, all right, yeah. I mean that's fine. I I don't think it takes anything away from the film. No. I like this film. I think it was a really well done and tasteful, tasteful very portrayal tasteful. of war and the implications of basically drone warfare. Um, with an interesting take on bureaucracy, I just uh, at the end of the day, I did not like this as much as you. I think it's a good film, but I think it falls short of greatness. And yeah, yeah. Uh, so. Did you? But did you think technically it was? Because I, I mean, I am shocked by Kevin Gavin Hood's uh, proficiency in this film. Um, I mean, do you appreciate the way that it was crafted? I, I did. Um, I, it's hard because I, I feel like the everything but the uh, the perspective beetle drone shots I, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed. But ev- yeah. everything else, you know, he. It's definitely something different um, because a lot of the characters are experiencing something through this through a camera. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, and that I mean, in that context, I think he uh, the the direction was very technically exactly. solid. I don't, yeah. I don't think he did anything crazy, groundbreaking, or um, I don't I don't know. Um, Flashy, no, but uh, yeah, very, yeah, very solid. I mean, you're right. There's nothing in here to say. Wow, this is a Gavin Hood film. This has yeah. Gavin Hood's fingerprints all over it. But I think that uh, it's a very difficult thing to um, convey a relationship between actors who are either talking through a screen or I mean that's a tough way to act. Yeah. In itself, and I think I I I mean maybe it's just a great cast. Oh, may, maybe I'm not giving him enough credit because the you do have to unify 
these all these characters um, on screen, even though physically they are, yeah. you know, in very different parts of the world. And yeah, I I I really enjoyed this film. I'm gonna yeah. re- recommend it to a lot of people. Um, uh, I don't think it was necessarily a great film, but I think that it definitely got its point across and was successful in that. Um, anything else you want to say? Tonight, <laughs> self feel good time. I'm gonna go see Hardcore Henry. I'm done. So uh, we'll be reviewing Hardcore Henry, um, barring uh, any collapse. Don't, don't stop us now. Yeah, no. Um, so yeah, look forward to that next week. We forgot to at the beginning of the episode to tell people to email us. So. Oh man, wow. Midnightfilmreview at gmail.com. Hey, not that it matters, Colin. Nobody emails us anyway. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I just get angry phone calls and uh, <laughs> have to relay the message to you as best I can. That Yeah, not, you know, we'll take what we can get. But uh, yeah, send us an email. Midnightfilmreview at gmail.com. Or two. Or four. Um, looking forward to Hardcore Henry um, and uh, possibly Midnight Special. How did this episode get so long? What um, happened? Because we bloated it at the beginning with oh my god, silly talk about Batman versus Superman, <laughs> which I promise, uh, unless <laughs> I, see, I'm not going to jinx it because there's going to be some kind of crazy news that happens and yeah, or or we'll finally get like <coughs> five emails next yeah. week yeah. about Batman versus yeah. Superman. So. so yeah, I'm gonna just leave it at that. No no jinxing. Um, yeah, I think that's gonna. Do it for this episode. Man, I hope so. I can't think thoughts anymore. All right. Um, We'll catch you on the flip side. Okay, bye. Bye.